Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today I am joined by writer, professor, and author of a forthcoming book called Sonic Booms, Making Music in an Oil Town. Her name is Jillian Turnbull. Jillian, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Thanks for taking the time. So, uh, Jillian, we're going to talk about your book a little bit, but um, before that, you hold a PhD in something called ethnomusicology. What is I that? I do. Uh, it is the study of music from a, a kind of cultural perspective. So it's like music anthropology. Okay. Um, musicology is basically the study of the notes on the page, right? So how somebody composes something and what that means. Ethnomusicology takes into consideration the context around music making. So uh, where does somebody grow up? You know, who are they? What are their sort of social identifiers? Um, who are they surrounded by? What's the general culture of music making mm. in given eras and geographic regions and that kind of stuff? So um, the possibilities are kind of endless. I've yeah. chosen to study mostly North American music and specifically within that country and roots music. Um, okay. You can study popular music from an ethno perspective. Pretty much anything goes. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a very fun field. So, is it true? I was reading this the other day. I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, rock music has been supplanted by hip hop now as the most popular <laughs> form of music. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And, and pretty much any evidence you look at would agree with it. Uh, whether you're looking at sales, streaming, um, just generally what's on young people's playlists, I think yeah. it's largely true. That's not to say rock is dead. You know, there's this great, especially um, group of women coming up in their early 20s who are making great, great rock music. But mm. I think hip hop has become the kind of music that is the basis for everything else whereas yeah. rock used to to hold that role um, yeah. and that's probably within the last 10 to 15 years that that's happened mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i actually in my suburb i saw a uh, a young white kid going down the street and you know back then we had boom boxes right yeah. but now they had I, I don't even know what they are <laughs> um but but he was playing a, a, a hip-hop song yeah and i just thought you know back when i was a kid it would have been you know cheap trick or like a oh a, yeah a, or metal or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure, for me. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I just, uh, the, the landscape is changing. Oh, yeah, for sure. You really see that. Like, I mean, I teach undergraduates, mm -hmm. and uh, so I see first and second years come into my classes all the time, and that's exactly what they know, what they listen to. Yeah. For sure. I mean, there are, their taste is more, I would say, diverse than it was even when I was in university, and certainly when, you know, my parents were younger. Yeah. Uh, they're not forced into a kind of social identity through the music they listen to in the same way. Ah, um, but they definitely have that base knowledge of hip-hop more than any other generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, that's interesting because when I was a kid, you look at the different genres and you, you it's, it's like a jacket. You, you, yeah. You wear the one that fits the best. Right. Right. And for yeah. me, metal was kind of my jacket. Yeah. You know, I wasn't a Springsteen guy. I wasn't a Wham guy. <laughs> I was a Maiden guy. Yeah. You know, at that time, I felt like that was what I needed. And right. it, it kind of just felt like it fit. Yeah. So it is interesting that these kids now, and I wonder if this is almost from a rebellion perspective, yeah. listening to hip hop, because mm -hmm. rock and roll was kind of like, you know, aggressive, and it was almost like you wore that stuff like a badge. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And now it's the music of the establishment, right? It's what the boomers are listening to. Exactly. <laughs> so That's right. Nobody wants to be associated with that anymore. That's right. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. it's amazing. You know, some of them will come to class never having heard an Elvis song before. Really? Uh, most of them know the Beatles. Some of them don't know the Rolling Stones. You know, so it is. Yeah. But then again, you think like this music is 50, 60 years old. Yeah. How much music did I know when I was 20 that was 50 or 60 years old? Or did you want to know? Exactly. Right. Yeah. None. 
So yeah. it's understandable, but it's hard for us growing up in the rock era to conceive of that for it sure. Is. Yeah. It's fascinating yeah. and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> We're losing our grip. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me about your book, Sonic Booms. Oh, this book is about 20 years in the making. Um, what? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad it's finally happening. I So I grew up in Calgary. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just as I was about to leave the city, I was finishing my undergrad, uh, I discovered there was some country music happening. Um, I'll, I'll give you the history of my relationship to country music Please. in a little bit with one of the songs. But uh, um, I discovered a few local artists mm-hmm. who were making some interesting sounding music. And so I started to go to their shows regularly and realized there was this whole culture and community of um musicians that nobody knew about they were unheard of outside the city and this is true of, of course many cities but to me they represented a very uh, compelling group of people because they were not the stereotype of calgary right mm-hmm. they weren't just a bunch of loudmouth rednecks you know <laughs> voting for ralph klein election <laughs> after election and they were very um progressive they were very engaged with the world very cosmopolitan mm-hmm. but they also loved country and roots and and folk music and mm-hmm. and were such a community of people so i went on to um research them yep. in my anthropologist way for my phd <laughs> and and wrote a dissertation about them and then for the last 10 years i've struggled to you know figure out how to get it out into book form mm-hmm. and gone back and left and back and left at different times yeah. um, so now i finally uh, I, I actually did a, a master's degree in creative writing yep. a couple years ago, and I realized the way to do this book was to tell the story of this community. So yep. I've made it into an actually readable book compared to my dissertation. So yeah, yeah. coming out next spring. Well, I look forward to that. Thanks. I also, uh, we were talking earlier off air about uh, another book that you were thinking about writing, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm fascinated by that. Well, it started, as we were talking about, sort of like this podcast and and your book started, just my interest in people's relationships to specific songs. Mm -hmm. And that's eventually, it eventually morphed into a kind of look at women in particular and how they relate to music. And of course, I see young women coming through my classes all the time. And uh, coinciding with that has been this recent rise in feminist thinking again, a kind of new feminist movement. And so they're really expressing those um, beliefs through the music that they choose to listen to. And I feel like they are a neglected audience. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk so much about young men and what they listen to and older generations and what they listen to. We rarely talk about girls who are, say, 15 to 25 and mm-hmm. have you know real strong connections to music. So it's going to be about that somehow. It's about halfway done. So yeah, I'm still working out the structure and things like that, but that's the idea. Yeah. We'll look forward to that one too. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Shall we get into your songs? For sure. All right. So we're going to kick it off with Blue Rodeo and Cynthia. Mm-hmm. This was an interesting choice for me because so Blue, I don't really listen to Blue Rodeo that much anymore. Mm-hmm. I um, kind of lost my connection to them maybe early in the 2000s. So back to my story with country music. Yeah. Um, when I when I left junior high and went into high school. I was one of those girls that was an easy target and kind of lost my social bearings and had nobody as I went into high school and I quickly made some new friends, but Mm -hmm. they were very into country music. And I was a kid who followed the charts. I knew all the top 40 hits. I watched Metallica go up and down. I watched, yeah, Brian Adams, like you name it, I knew what was happening. And so they told me they listened to country and really tried to get me on board and I would have none of it. I thought it was dorky music. But of course, <laughs> this was the rise of uh, 
of new country, right? So there's Reba McIntyre, Trisha Yearwood. This is like early 90s. That this uh, I was going to say, so what's the yeah. time frame? Early 90s, okay. Yeah, I started high school in 92. So Garth Brooks. Yep. Okay. All that stuff. And I was a real reluctant participant in the country listening. Me too. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it wasn't cool. It was not cool at all. No. <laughs> well, and, and you, you and I both have that suburban kind of middle of nowhere sort of feeling. Like you yes. want to be cool, right? And yeah, that's, for yeah, sure. <laughs> not the music you Who gravitate doesn't? to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was in Calgary and people were listening to it perhaps more than other places. So it was definitely around. So I, you know, I would go to concerts and listen to their mixtapes and that kind of stuff and try to get into it. Mm-hmm. But then I was having one of, you know, many um, teenage angsty kind of moments when I was 15. Yep. And my friend said, listen to this song. And she put on Cynthia. And, you know, she had a, a tape Walkman at that point, and she gave me her headphones. And in particular, she wanted me to listen to the piano solo. So mm-hmm. I did, and it cheered me up. Oh. And so we've always kind of held on to that song as our song. And what it did was it turned me into a rabid Blue Rodeo fan. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think they know how crazy I was, the members <laughs> of the band. And I think they've stayed away from me. Um, <laughs> Tell me about that. There's a story behind this. Well, it no, uh, like. It's just more of a joke than anything. Well, I, I will sort of expand from there. So that was so 1993 was when Five Days in July came out, mm-hmm. right? And before that, they had good albums, right? There were four albums before oh, yeah. that. yeah. Casino was amazing, right? Like produced by Pete Anderson. It was super tight, like great rock record. But they yeah. were more kind of along the lines of rock and punk and new wave yeah, than country. country. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of country. But then they brought on uh, Kim Deschamps on um, steel guitar. Yes. They brought in James Gray to replace Bobby Wiseman. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened with Five Days in July. Mm-hmm. And they just recorded it. It's famous, right? Because they recorded it as this set of demos at Greg's farm and realized it was good as it was and so they just released it as it was as this kind of acoustic you know kind of cottage weekend sounding album love it yeah Yeah, it was amazing so i listened to the singles that came off of that and at that point i had no money and not a lot of access to record stores and i just had radio and much music you remember Mm. these days oh god i was in the exact same boat yeah, At so you just time. like gobble, gobble up everything you can, right? Like literally, much music was. I was so dialed into that. that oh it yeah, was ridiculous. Me too. It was my window to the music world. Yeah, and yeah. did you? So did you put in VHS cassettes and record? Oh, Jillian. Oh like, yeah, I still have some of those old. Seriously, <laughs> like videos, and they're cut off, and they're like, staticky between the video. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, me too. That was like that was all I did. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, quickly, I was a, I was a metal kid, and so I would watch the Much Music Power Hour. Yeah. And I would videotape it. Yeah. But it was choppy. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, Trying to get the ads out of there. And <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but it was the best. Like, it was the only way to yes. really connect with this music. Exactly. So I, so I was doing that. I was listening to them on radio. And then I was catching the occasional video on Much Music or CMT. They were also on there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then I saw the video for Try. And it really is such a compelling video, right? Yeah. It's kind of slow motion and, and like devoid of color and very romantic and atmospheric. Yes. And of course, Jim looks great in yep. it, right? He's a young guy at that point and he's crooning. And I thought, oh yeah, this is, this is my band. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I really got into them. Interestingly, I never bought Five Days in July. Oh. I bought all their other discs. And then word got out when I was about 20 that I had never bought it. And I got five copies at my next birthday. Ah, uh, finally, finally owned it. But yeah, so I, I became a huge fan. And then the other thing I should tell you. Well, no, I'll tell you the story after. Okay. Um, 
I became a huge fan. I went I went to uh, do my master's degree at U of A and uh, wrote my master's thesis on mm. them. How they kind on of represent, yeah, like a kind of Canadian identity at a time when we were really celebrating Canadian music, right? All those bands were staying here, Tragically Hip, Cowboy Junkies, Sky Diggers, you know, yeah. like all those groups were huge in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. And then it stopped. So you selected <laughs> Blue Rodeo over the Tragically Hip. I did, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'll never quite know why. And what? And so what was the outcome? Not much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Well, what Blue Rodeo did for me was lead me into the world of country and, and folk music. Mm -hmm. They played at uh, the 19, I think it was the 1996 Calgary Folk Festival. Okay. So I bought a ticket just yeah. to see them. Yeah. I turned 18 like two days before the festival. Okay. And that is the legal drinking age in Alberta. 18? Yeah. Okay. So I went into the beer garden uh -oh. and I had my first beer. I had been drinking before, but not of beer. Of course, yeah. So then I came out like a different person. <laughs> <laughs> a very inebriated person. <laughs> yeah. And I ran into Jim Cuddy on the path. Like, he was oh. just standing out there. And I I just lost it, right? Like, I was just this sure. blubbering, goofy oh, no. girl fan. And yeah. he kind of backed away from me. And he was like, okay, yeah, that's nice to meet you. And then pretty much <laughs> ran away as fast as he could. <laughs> so I don't know that that did any long-term damage, necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> but when I did uh, want to turn the thesis into a book... I ran into a number of obstacles with them and, and was just kind of kept waiting. And I almost had a deal with ECW to put it out. Oh, yeah. It was contingent on the band's participation. And so it just kind of really? never, never came together. And at, and at that point, to be fair, I'd lost interest in their music. I yeah. had moved on to other things. So it probably wouldn't have been the best book. So yeah. I think it worked out in the end. But yeah, hmm. that's, that's what I did. Wow. Yeah. Next tune, Ian Tyson. Yes. Uh, Elko Blues, The Roan Mare. I do not know the song. <laughs> yeah, it's not one of his more popular ones. Yeah. Uh, after I got into Blue Rodeo, I just started going down this path of finding more and more Canadian country and, and folk music. Mm -hmm. And decided in, I guess it was maybe 99, that I was going to write my bachelor's thesis okay. on the topic. My uh, advisor told me to look into some old... Uh, like 1960s folk artists. So Ian Tyson yeah. was one of them. I listened to all the Ian and Sylvia material. Yeah. Same thing, like I had no money. So I was just going to the library, getting all these CDs out of the library, taking them home and recording them onto cassette tapes and <laughs> listening to them in my car. Yeah. And there was one day actually where I ran a red light and uh, the cops stopped me and Ian Tyson was playing on the cassette in yeah. the in the car and I think he leaned in and heard that and thought okay she's not so bad no, <laughs> this is not a really? menace to society right here so I, so he let me go Ian Tyson saved you from a speeding ticket he did actually I got stopped by the cops again just a few years ago because I didn't have my lights on in my rental car yeah and he was playing again it yeah. might have been this song no way I think he's a little bit my guardian angel well, he kind of is <laughs> sounds like that did you get off that time too yeah no <laughs> You need to write him a letter. I Well, so this is what came of it. So I wrote about him a little bit in that thesis. Yeah. But I became very interested in, in Western music, which is his brand of music since the early 80s, right? Mm -hmm. And I started listening to all those albums that he did and listening backwards through um, Western music from both the States and Canada uh, that kind of came out of cowboy culture, right? So mm -hmm. all these songs that cowboys would write to keep the cattle quiet and uh, to help them keep stay awake at night and, and kind of comment on their working conditions and stuff like that. So I got yeah. really interested in that repertoire. 
So Neil McGonagall, who used to be Ian's, I think he was Ian's road manager. Okay. Uh, maybe he was his full manager, too. He had met Ian, like, right at the end of the 70s when Ian was down and out. Ian had moved to Calgary at that point and okay. was playing Ranchman's, this big cowboy bar in the south of Calgary. Mm-hmm. He's playing there regularly, but didn't really know what to do with himself. And he started dating the daughter of the owner of Ranchman's, okay. Twyla, and they eventually got married. And she encouraged Ian to go in the direction of Western music. So Ian showed up one day on at Neil's studio, where mm-hmm. he was recording someone else, and said, you got to help me, I, I need to know what to do next. Yep. So Neil put together this um, recording session, which included a number of old Western songs, old cowboy songs, and Ian's new originals, and they recorded like out in the field, they got the sound of horses' wow. hooves going through the mud and stuff like that, the yeah. recording engineer. So it was this kind of epic story of his um, entry into cowboy music, and I was very fascinated by all this, and I knew Neil. So I I was talking to Neil about this fascination I had, and he said, well, why don't I introduce you to Ian? And in this very last-minute, unpredictable, kind of crazy um, setup, I got to go have lunch with him. Wow. And so we talked about all this old cowboy music. And then a couple years later, he put out a new album. So Neil asked me to interview him for a publication I was writing for. So I did, and Ian, so Ian's not online. I don't think he's still online. Like he's, I think, turning 85 this year. You know, why bother, right? So Neil had to show him this publication, this article that I wrote, and Ian said, oh my God, like this girl understands me better than so many journalists of the past. I want to take her down to Elko. So he goes down to Elko to the Cowboy uh, Poetry Festival every year. Yeah. And he said he was going to fly me down, put me up in a hotel room, and let me just, like, discover (laughs) cowboy culture while he was there performing. Yeah, I was so excited about it. Wow. It didn't happen. Oh, no, what happened? (laughs) That was the year he had heart surgery. Uh, So he didn't end up going, and then it just kind of got forgotten after that. But this song is about him being at Elko, right? Like, so he's talking about, like, just being there, being the big man, all his friends coming to see him, and he yeah. walks away with money in his pocket. And yeah. I just love it because it's it's him. Like, it kind of captures his personality and his true enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so, that's a great story. One of my favorites. So your next song is uh, Billy Joel. I love this song. Oh, yeah? It's from an Italian restaurant. Yeah, it's yeah. one of my favorite Joel songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's so amazing. I feel he like is. he is not getting enough credit for... The kind of songwriter that he is. You know, just quickly, it's funny that you say that. I'm going to yeah. tell you a really uh, quick story. I, I do this thing at my neighbor's house where yeah. we uh, sit around a table, you know, when we're drinking and stuff like that. So we use an iPad and we pass it around and you select a song yeah. and it plays and you pass it along. And everybody <laughs> just kind of, and as you're as you're t- talking and having a good time, mm-hmm. people are picking songs, right? So, That's cool. And then it turns into like this. You know, you, do you follow the vibe? Do you not? Do you change it? Do you change it? <laughs> so it's a, it's a cool little game. Yeah. Last weekend, I put on a Billy Joel song. Yeah. And it was met with venom and vitriol. <gasps> no. That's I was like, wow, this is the first time <laughs> we, we do this all the time. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? One o'clock in the morning, Billy Joel, and yeah. I got like nasty response from that. And what I was thought, the song? It was. Uh, I think it was She's Got Away. I mean, it's a key, you yeah. know. But still, like it was, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to throw it out there. And, yeah. And it, it was not received well. Oh, that's too bad. But, you you know, Billy Joel takes a lot of stick he from does. people. And I've never understood that because I think he's a fantastic songwriter. He really is. Yeah. I've tried to figure this out, and I don't know that I can. One, one theory I have is that he's 
really verbose, mm-hmm. right? Like he just, he has to get every word into the song mm-hmm. that's in his head. So maybe people like things that are more abstract or sparse. Yeah, maybe. Perhaps. Maybe. But I mean, that's what I really like about him. Like he's well, just saying what's on his mind. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like two songs in one. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was looking at the lyrics yesterday and the narrative is so crazy. It goes from this couple. Yeah that are meeting up after many years apart to like, I guess, an account of people they knew. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the way those, the the couples kind of brackets that other narrative. Yes. The changes that happen over the course of the yeah. song. Yeah. Like musically, and I, it's got 10 verses. Yeah. 10 verses. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's incredible. He's like a, you know, the equivalent of a symphonic composer these Agreed. days, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And who was it? Recently on a show, I think it was Rick Emmett, actually. Oh, yeah. I uh, was talking about his, his classical influences and how he right. works this into his songs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the one song? Um, this Night. This Night mm-hmm. is Beethoven's, oh, it's one of his sonatas. It's the second movement of one of his sonatas. It's just yeah. lifted and yeah. made into that melody. Yeah. yeah. So it's obvious that his training has, like, I just, I don't get it. I mean, I've been to his concerts, and obviously there's a huge fan base that, yeah. you know, is yeah. desperately in love with him. And he's oh, starting yeah. to get some recognition in the Academy, too. There was a Billy Joel conference last year. Yeah. I think they're turning that into a book of essays about him. One thing I've always wondered. So he came up at the same time as uh, Bruce Springsteen. Yes. And, you know, Springsteen's always talked about as being, like, the the man, uh, the voice of the working people, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and But Billy Joel is constantly dealing in class issues. Yeah. Allentown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and thwarted ambition, mm-hmm. like Vienna. Yeah. In politics, Good Night Saigon, right? Like it, yeah. the list goes on and on. Like he's yeah. dealing in some pretty tough subject matter. Yeah. But especially this kind of fragile masculinity that's attached to one's ability to provide for their family, mm-hmm. which is also what Bruce Springsteen is doing. Exactly. And doesn't get the same reception. So I wonder if it's the piano, if there's like a kind of middle class like identity that gets put on him because he's playing the piano, a classical okay. instrument, versus the guitar, which is, you know, the. The poor man's version of that, I guess. I think so. Maybe he's viewed yeah. as not having enough grit, which, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think that's fair. But no. Yeah. I mean, he's a rock and roller. Well, you listen to a song looks like, uh, like like Captain Jack. Yeah. Right? Going exactly. way back. I mean, he, 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 there's plenty of grit there for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. 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 But, you know, maybe people kind of on the surface don't see that stuff. Yeah. They hear things like Piano Man and She's Got Away and mm-hmm. She's Always a Woman and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah. yeah. All the kind of sappy songs. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but no, he's great. I, I love him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. Next, Bikini Kill. There's some grit. This is uh, <laughs> yeah. Rebel Girl. I had to get some in there. Yeah. Okay, so I didn't. I wasn't aware of the Riot Girl stuff when I was young. I mm-hmm. wish I had been. I feel mm-hmm. like I would be a different person. Mm. Um, but whatever. It, it happened to me recently, so that's okay. Yep. Um, Better late than never. Yes, it's those damn friends in high school, right? <laughs> they kept me from grunge and <laughs> all the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll blame them. <laughs> so did you hear all the Rebel Girl kind of, or sorry, Bikini Kill and, and Slater Kinney? Yeah, from a distance. Yeah. And I, I think like early 2000s, I got into Slater Kinney. Yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, I was never kind of directly, obviously involved with it, but I, I, I watched yeah. it. I watched it uh, come up on the landscape. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I, I feel like I just must have been cut off enough that it didn't make it to Calgary, I guess, really. But then there was a resurgence recently, right? Like Kathleen Hanna, you know, there was the movie about her, the punk singer. Mm-hmm. Sleater Kinney reunited 
right? Yep. So there's been this kind of revisiting of that period of time in that music. So I I love Kathleen. Like I saw her in concert a couple of years ago, and she's you know just an amazing performer. Yeah, gets the whole crowd going with her, and she's just this tiny little woman, right? But <laughs> yeah. the force inside her is is amazing. This song though I picked because I pl- I play it probably three or four times every semester for different classes and okay. introduce them to the whole movement um, via this song. And every time it plays, I think that voice like it still gives me shivers you know, mm. as you're hoping for <laughs> yes skin vibration oh yeah. yeah and especially the last line in the second verse when she just screams is amazing and yeah. when i hear that song i think this is how i feel inside all the time I, like no no other song says it better i'm i am that i don't know if it's angry but just that i've got that much sort of pent up something inside me yeah it varies what the emotion is but it's always there yeah. I'm so glad they made this song isn't, for that reason. It's it's amazing that you're so in touch with that. I yeah. Like that. Yeah. 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 I, I'm probably too emotional, but I you don't You don't strike me as an overly emotional person. Oh, you're, you're seeing me at my very calm right now. <laughs> 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 Just ask my boyfriend. He, yeah, he'll disagree. <laughs> Next, Courtney Barnett, Pedestrian at Best. Yeah. Do you know this song? I do not know the song, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, you should listen to Courtney. She's got, I think, just two albums now. Well, she's got one with Kurt Vile. Okay. Oh, but then I love Kurt two, Yeah. Yeah. And the partnering is is quite something. Really? You know, that they I, oh, would... is that her? Okay. I didn't make the connection yeah. there. Yeah. They did do something together. Um, I got into Kurt Vile probably about four or five years ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah. 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 And what brought you to him? two songs that he had Jesus what is it what's the Jesus song that he does this is awful I don't know any of his song titles I'm actually really bad at remembering song titles with you know with certain artists time too anyway I can't remember the, the name of the record but there's a song that has Jesus in the title it'll okay. come to me eventually and then the one right before that but I, I just I like his uh, it's just kind of like a like a loose careless vibe yeah Right. And, yeah. for, you know, as a kid, I was so involved in technicality and the, and precision and music and that sort of thing. And Kurt Weill was just kind of like, you know, I don't give a, you know, he, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't care. Right. Right. And yeah. I really like that loose, jangly music. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I think Courtney Barnett's much the same. Yeah. Like maybe a little more precise in the actual music. Mm-hmm. But her attitude is, oh, it's just such a good attitude right now, especially for young women to... Mm-hmm be absorbing all of these expectations that people put on you and to turn that around and say, well, I'm going to disappoint you. It's inevitable that I'm going to disappoint you. And guess what? I don't care. Yeah. Right. Like I'm just an apathetic character who's going to do what I want and you're going to have to live with it. She just does that so well. I love it. And I, and I want all my girls, my students to hear this music and especially this song for that reason to just say, go and, do what you want to do because you're never going to make everybody happy. And and I think she gets a little into kind of class issues too. I love singers that sing about class, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with it myself. Yep. And she just kind of says, you know, like you think in this song in particular, she says something like, I think you're a joke, but I don't find you very funny. Mm. And that's kind of when I look at people who are in a much more privileged position than I am and, and talk down to me and, and think I'm just a child who's fooling around and having fun. Yeah. I think you don't really know what I'm thinking about you right now and I love that she's just so clearly stating it yeah. at such a young age it's, yeah. it's great uh, Nico Case is next Nico where did I leave that fire are you a Nico fan uh, a little bit okay not a massive Nico fan okay I am 
Okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Oh, I love her. I could talk about her forever. I'll try to keep it short. So this came out on her album, uh, The Harder I Try, The More I Love You. Okay. The worse things get, the harder I try, the harder I try, the more I love you. That's what it's called. Okay. In, I think, 2012. And the whole album is a masterpiece, I think, from start to finish. It's it's quite something. And she clearly was going through a difficult period uh, at that time in her life. So you hear a lot of it in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. This song um, is basically her saying what the title says, right? Like, I used to be full of fire and ambition and energy and potential, and I seem to have misplaced that somewhere. Where did I leave it? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the song, you know, she gets this phone call. At 6 o'clock tomorrow, the phone rings, and... The voice on the other end says, I do believe we have your fire, lady. You can pick it up if you come down with ID. (laughs) It's such a brilliant way to pull together this thing that she has lost, right? So the song, I bring it up for a couple of reasons. So one is, I just love that message. And um, another is, she was on a podcast called Nerdette a couple weeks ago for her new album. And they got to talking about this one line in one of her songs where she says something like, uh, I went. I left home and faked my ID. I bleeped every man I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can swear. Of course yeah. you can. Okay. Please be I'll my say guest. it again then. <laughs> I left home and faked my ID. I fucked every man I wanted to be. Yeah. That's a super powerful line in that song, and mm-hmm. and I thought, oh yeah, me too. Not that I did that necessarily, but I recognized the sentiment behind it. And she was reluctant to say much about it herself because she sort of leaves the songs up to the listeners how they're interpreted. But I thought, oh, that was exactly how I felt. Like I, when I was out and young and trying to get into the music industry in different ways, I was positioning myself with all these men who had all these opportunities, ways in, they knew stuff, they knew people, they were cool. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be them. But I was always their sidekick or yeah. the person they were interested in or, you know, like I was never them. Yeah. <laughs> and I just hated that feeling that I could not be them. And I love that she said that so succinctly. Mm-hmm that you still, even to this day, are powerless as a woman in so many situations in the music industry. And she said, following that, she said, you know, I'm tired of lists. I'm tired of, you know, the best women who play guitar and the top 20 songs of by women yeah. in the 21st century. She said, I'm just done with that. Like, I just want to make music. Yeah. I was in Calgary last week and there was a review of their jazz festival. And they said, oh, there was a panel on women in music. And all these girls came in to talk about their experience. And you know, it really felt like we're getting somewhere and talking about these experiences. And I thought, you know, like a jazz festival, like women are just there to play. How mm-hmm. about you just give them the opportunity to play? Let's stop making this this kind of fascinating thing that happens that women actually pick up instruments and, and participate in music yeah. making. Like just give them a slot on stage. That's all we're asking for, yeah, right? To just have equal opportunity. You know, we've been in the music industry for 100 years, the same as men. It may surprise some people. So I love that she talks about all this stuff. It's very so bizarre, really, it? yeah. Anyway, so I love the kind of general feminist message that comes through her lyrics. But on a personal level, this song, I was listening to it um, right at the start of a period that took about a year and a half, where I was going through some health problems, mm-hmm. and uh, we just couldn't figure out what was going on. And it was thing after thing was sort of revealed in me, and I was feeling helpless, and I'd walk around my neighborhood with this on and you know, just feel totally isolated and by myself. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, luckily, it was a very treatable form of cancer and okay. came through okay. But that moment of diagnosis, nobody, unless you've had it, nobody knows what it feels like. And I feel like this song, sonically, is 
the sound of cancer. Mm. It's so weird and it's full of strange sound effects and it's all twisted and unpredictable and it's compl- it feels like it's completely closed in, like you're just in your head. And even some of her lines kind of refer to her relationship to her body, okay. not wanting to be herself right now and that kind of thing. So that's that was how cancer felt to me. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the song after that, Ragtime, mm-hmm. sounds to me like recovery. She says, you know, I'll reveal myself when I'm, re- uh, when I'm ready. I'll reveal myself invincible soon. You know, so that's a really nice kind of ending to the album and yeah. how I felt coming out of the experience, too. Has it got like the bouncy ragtime piano? A little bit, yeah. And the big yeah. horn section comes in. Cool. And, yeah, masterpiece. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, it's yeah. a great album. Yeah, I yeah. will. Well, one of the best things about doing the show is that I'm introduced to new music all the time. Yeah. I was kind of a moderate Nico fan, but yeah. I'm going to really you know, dig into that. Yeah, that's it's a weird album. Like It's probably her least accessible, but definitely the best. I don't mind weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And uh, swearing is encouraged on the show, by the way. Oh, I can I, do a lot more of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus Fever is the song mm. I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. It came to me as your... Yeah. Right. That's it. Uh, okay, next up is NQ Arbuckle with Hospitals. Mm-hmm. NQ Arbuckle is a Toronto band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've liked them basically since they started, and especially Neville Quinlan, the main songwriter. Again, has a way with lyrics that mm-hmm. I really connect with and pay attention to. Always kind of hard on his sleeve type lyrics. Very localized, too. You can feel him in all these places in Toronto. Yep. And this song is about his wife having a medical crisis okay. at St. Mike's Hospital and oh. his reaction to being there when the good news came through. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a good, like, solid set of kind of directions for how to live. Eat when you're hungry and drink when you're thirsty, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's such a, like, jolly kind of song as it plugs along. And so, I like, I went to St. Mike's a lot for my diagnosis and tests and surgery and all that kind of stuff. And... The song just one day popped into my head when I was leaning on my boyfriend waiting for my biopsy. And the biopsy was actually probably the most dangerous thing I went through. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, you know, that song is so reassuring in the way that my boyfriend's presence was at that time. Yeah, it's It brings a real kind of positivity to the whole experience of going through the medical system. Yeah, And uh, and his way of telling that story, too, is just so sweet and cues. Yeah. Yeah. He does a great job in, in concert. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Oh, next is one of my favorites, Rush oh, yeah. and Working Man. Are you a big Rush fan? Yes, I am. Well, you know, it's funny because I wasn't, but now I am. Oh, what converted you? So when I was a kid, Rush was a little bit too intellectual for me. Yeah, I kind of okay. just wanted like the dumb rock. <laughs> Awful mistake on right. my part. But, you know, I, I grew to to discover all the great things inside Rush, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I love the band. I think they're fantastic. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Working Man. I'm going to give a, a, a little plug to a band uh, called Crownlands. Okay, uh, they do an awesome cover of this. Is a, oh, yeah, this is like 21, 22 year old guys. There's two of them, uh, Kev Como and Cody Bowles. Okay, uh, do a fantastic cover of Working Man in every set they play. Okay, Love. yeah, and really kind of got me into it. Ooh, I'll look it up. Yes, check out Crownlands. Okay, that's all you have to say about Rush, though. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot more to say about Rush. Well, <laughs> um, as I said, I, you know, I, I kind of regret the fact that I was not uh, an, a Rush fan earlier. Yeah. You know, I kind of wish I would have gotten into them. I, and again, I thought like it's just not for me. I was mm-hmm. a metal kid, and they were a little bit too intellectual. That was a huge mistake on my part. Yeah. But I'm rediscovering them now. Going back through the old records, I saw yeah. them uh, do their 40th. 
uh, anniversary, oh, yeah. the, the farewell tour in Toronto, yeah. and it was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Were you at that show? I was at that show. Wasn't that cool what they did? Yes. So they worked backwards. Yes. And their last song was their was first song. Yeah. It was Working Man. Isn't that? So brilliant. The, yeah. What a yeah. brilliant concept. Right? Yeah. yeah. At first, I didn't really know what they were doing. Same. But then, you know, it kind of came more clear as they went through the show that they yeah. were working backwards through their career and removing stage props. Yes. And stuff like that till they were left with two chairs. Yeah. And like a disco ball. Yeah. And that was kind of the setting of their first gig. They actually yeah. put their amps on chairs. Yeah. <laughs> which is just brilliant. It's so amazing. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just, my, my heart just fills every time I see them. I love the friendship between Getty and Alex. Mm-hmm. I love the enthusiasm they still have. You know, yeah. they could so easily be jaded old rock musicians yep. and they still just want to make music and they're yep. so excited to do it all the time. Yes. And actually, like after that concert, I went to the movie, like basically the documentary of that tour. Yeah. So Rush is a bit of a romantic band for me because my partner also loves them. It's the first boyfriend I've found who loves Rush. And okay. I, I didn't realize it was like one of my You might be the first woman that I've met who loves Rush. Actually. Well, this, yeah, it's a rarity. <laughs> and I went to this movie with him and it was all middle-aged men around me. It, it, go at, to like, Rush In concert. groups of two or three, yeah. Like no women there ever. Oh, yeah. 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 And But I cried my eyes out at the end of that movie because Getty Lee was so sad that the yes. band was ending. Yeah. And I just... I want him to make more music. I want him to be happy. This is, I think about this all the time and I adore him. His voice, I think is super polarizing Mm -hmm. and I'm on the side of, I adore it. I love him so much. And the first time I heard his voice, I was probably 20 or something and an older friend of mine played, I think it was just closer to the heart or something. And I thought, oh, that's my man. Just what a voice. Yeah. Never gotten sick of it. Yeah. 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 It is polarizing. Yeah. And again, when I was a kid, I wasn't for it, but now I'm absolutely all about it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, if you, so if you were into Iron Maiden, like around that time, that was probably when they started dabbling in, when Rush started dabbling in the synth stuff. And that's exactly what happened. So yeah. there, it was power windows. Right. And signals and that sort of thing. And, and there was less guitar and more synth. So yeah. I had, you know, I had a buddy who is into 2112 and hemispheres and stuff like that. So right. I thought, yeah, this is, you know, it's just that it was very involved in terms of oh, yeah. uh, changes and time signatures and that sort yep. of thing. And I kind of just wanted the, the, you know, the 305 kind of, you know, hammer it out Motley Crue style. Totally. Kind of thing, which was, again, dumb, right? It well, was, you're it was young. A, it was like, a myopic position to yeah. take. Um, but it was a real treat to kind of dig into those records after oh, yeah. and see all the, the richness in there. Yeah, you know, for sure. There are anomalies. Like, what is it? I think I'm going bald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one is, yeah. isn't the best. But it's also kind of endearing. Like back in the days when Getty was writing the lyrics. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's pretty great. Like Lakeside, Lakeside Park. And yeah, yeah. Like all that really old stuff. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, great band. I'm going to try and get those guys on the show, actually. Oh, that would be yeah. awesome. Yeah. I actually had a goal to meet Getty by the time I turned 40, which was mm. just a couple of weeks ago, mm. and I didn't reach that goal. So Push if it you need. 45. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I might have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if you need, like, a production assistant when that happens, well, you just let me know. All right. We might do. We'll fill some <laughs> seats here in the, uh, in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right, next is, uh, this looks like a little compilation. It's Jim White, Amy Mann, M. Ward, and Joe Henry, and the song is Static on the Radio. Oh, it's interesting that it came up that way. I I know it only as Jim White and Amy Mann. Mm. Maybe the other two are on there, and I just didn't realize it. But it's their two voices Mm -hmm. singing. Okay. This uh, uh, was introduced to me by a writer, friend of mine. He made me an album of duets. Okay. 
at one point, and uh, I, I loved them all, but this one really stuck out. I would listen to it on repeat um, because I just love the timbre of their voices and the way they match and the way they kind of merge in and out of each other through the song. Yeah. I love Jim White's lyrics, especially the third verse. Mm-hmm. He says something like, "Time doesn't time change those inclined to think less of what is written than what's than what's written between the lines or something like that? Mm. I forget now. Very poetic. Obviously had yeah. a major impact on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but So I've always listened to it a lot. But I had this interesting experience where a friend came up to me one day. He was another writer friend. And he said, what would your writing sound like? if you could like pick a song that sounded like you're writing, what would it be? Mm. And I instantly came up with a song without giving it any thought. I said, oh, Static on the Radio. And then I went back and listened to it. And I thought, yeah, that is what I would like. I love writers who are super interior and kind of create a world and you're in their head and they're talking mm. about really difficult things like death and illness and philosophy and all that kind of stuff and, and wrapping it all into one package. And that, to me, is what this song feels like as a listening experience. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Amy Mann is fantastic. Oh. Do you, wise yeah. Up. Yeah is just one of those songs that really kind of reduces me when I hear it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's something about her voice, too. Yeah. 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 And interestingly enough, she sang on a Rush song. She was the That's only... Right. I believe she's the only artist to ever contribute to a Rush recording, I think, outside of the members of Rush. I, I think. It might be, yeah. And it was Time Stands Still. Right, which yeah. I also love. Yeah. And she's so cute in the video with him. I know, right? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see that Portlandia where she's in it? I think Sarah no. McLaughlin's in it too. Oh, really? Did you watch Portlandia? No, no. Oh, no. it's a good episode. It's basically the story is, if I remember it correctly, all these singers who, you know, no longer make money in the music industry and they're reduced to things like house cleaning jobs. And oh. so Amy Mann's there scrubbing the floors. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she plays it well. Yeah. That's funny. That's uh, Fred Armisen, right? Yeah. 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 And Carrie um, Brownstein from yeah. Sleater Kinney. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next. Beyonce. This is the first oh, yeah. time. This marks the first time Beyonce has ever been brought into the show. Really? Yes. Beyonce. Dixie Chicks have made an appearance. Beyonce has not. Oh wow! So this song, Beyonce and Dixie Chicks, and the song yeah. "Daddy Lessons." Can you t- think of any better combination? <laughs> it's pretty unusual. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's interesting that nobody's brought Beyonce in. First time. I can see. And it, it's been like we've talked about things like calypso, or classical. Like it's, yeah. It's not always you know mainstream rock. It's right. It's gone the kind of the gamut. Huh. Yeah. I w- I wonder who's listening to her though. Like that may affect whether people talk about her in here or mm, not. Potentially. The kids are all listening to her for sure. Yeah. A lot yeah. of ladies are listening to her. Maybe I should start getting some of the kids in here. Maybe. We'll talk about hip hop. Yeah, <laughs> I did two. I did two hip hop episodes with my buddies. Oh yeah, yeah, probably about six months ago. Oh, early okay. on, like I want to say, like episode thirty something. Okay, and they were hilarious. I learned so much, <laughs> but hip hop is great. We had a good time too. Yeah, that's the way to do it—to just have fun doing it, rather than yeah, trying to mm-hmm. figure out which album to start with and why, and yeah, yeah, yeah. just get people to recommend stuff and yeah. play it for you. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I I was always a Beyonce fan, kind of superficially. Loved mm-hmm. Destiny's Child's you know material, and I listened to a lot of her singles in yep. her early solo career. But then Lemonade, you know, I mean, it's a different Beyonce, yeah. right? It's um, it's kind of the voice we need in the world right now. So I love that she released that album, and I can bring her into my classes as um, somebody who should represent or who represents the way we should be thinking mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm you know, kind of the, the celebrity machine around her aside, yes. you know, just her, her kind of political statements are, are worth paying attention to. Yep. 
I feel like with the Dixie Chicks, she, you know, really latched onto them when they went through the whole um, George Bush controversy and felt like, wow, like if they within country can speak the way they do and hold to their opinions and um, disregard the impact it's going to have on their career, then I can do the same thing. And I think Mm -hmm. that's why she brought them onto this album. And in particular, the performance of this at the CMAs that happened in 2016, I think. So it was the first time that the chicks were invited back after that whole thing in 2003. That's a long time to not be on the CMAs when you're a big country band. Yeah. And then to have a black artist on stage with them, Beyonce no less, Mm -hmm. was, I I just, I cried my eyes out through that (laughs) performance. I still play it in class all the time. I still cry every time I play it in class. Because to me, it's just such a wonderful picture of what women can do when they're set free to just do and say what they want in music. And it's musically powerful too, right? There's this huge band behind them. The chicks bring in that song about country radio, kind of taking it apart for its... Um, tendencies to ignore women and to play the old hits and not pay attention to the greats and you know that's matched with um, Beyonce's commentary on living in the south and growing up with her father as her role model so it's a great great song Yeah. okay you know what we have time for one more okay we're going to talk about Elephant by Jason Isbell how about that can we do Uh, that sure we can yeah Uh, this is going to end things on a sad note I suppose do we want to do that um, we can. Okay. I would, you know, we've got it in a particular order on the playlist, so it oh, ends with the, with the chicks anyway. So we can let that be the way people listen through. But I'll, I'll do can. my add-on for. I didn't know that relevant. it was kind of segmented in terms of order. Sorry. It's just more about chron- chronology, I think, than anything. Okay. Yeah. Elephant. Uh, th- I came to this song late. I am a Jason Isbell fan, mm-hmm. not a huge fan. I always like his material, but I don't listen to it on repeat. I don't know why. I just maybe haven't gotten there yet. Mm -hmm. But this song, I mean, you watch any live performance of it, you can hear a pin drop in those places. Yeah. Like, have you ever heard a song talk about cancer in such a gut-wrenching way? And the relationship between those two people, this kind of part romance, part friendship, part sympathy, part caretaker, all this stuff, and her fire through the whole thing, and just such sparse words to describe all that. Yeah, it's really, it's also a masterpiece. You know, I mm-hmm. hate to keep using the same word again, but to be able to compose something like that that hits all of those emotional targets the way it does, and mm-hmm. without being over the top or sentimental or anything like that. I mean, that's the best writing, right? Yes, it is writing that is sparse and quiet and lets you feel things. Yes, rather than telling you how to feel. Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree with that statement. Yeah. Yeah. I have a song for you. Okay. Uh, Kate Fenner. Uh-huh. The Yield. Okay. If you like Elephant. Yeah. You will love the song. Okay. And I want you to listen to it and let me know what you think. I will do that. It is gut-wrenching. Okay. And it will probably make you cry. Okay. Yeah. I'm much happier listening to cancer songs now that I don't have cancer. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I take that on that with enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you, yeah. Will, you will enjoy the song very much. Okay. Well, I mean from that perspective as much as, yeah. as much as you can right yeah 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 it's uh, the the um the context is very similar okay yeah well that wasn't that sad no I mean, it's tremendously sad no well right? in uh, a way why be sad about these things i'm still happy i am too <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for coming in today thank you really this is so much it. fun you did a fantastic job i, I, I love your position I, I love what you're about and i, I had a fantastic chat I, I really enjoyed it i did too yeah yeah i can't wait to hear more of these 
well, good. Go back. Yeah. There's like 70 odd. So yeah. there's plenty to listen Got to. things laid out for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can come back anytime. Thank you. About I that? probably will. Yeah. Thanks. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest. It's Jillian Turnbull. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury. Leftover people and all my favorite people are broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>